You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. So good to remain standing with me as we open up in a word of prayer, then open up the Word and ask God to reveal to us again the majesty of his name and the wonder of what Good Friday is really about. Let's pray together. Father, as we gather this morning to remember your death and your burial, God, I pray that you'd stir us with a holy reverence for who you are. God, would you move us in our minds and our hearts to elevate Jesus to the highest place? Would you cause us to see the weightiness of our sin, but also the glory of our Savior? Father, would you move us from where we are into a closer proximity with you, God? We know you don't move. It's us who moves. And so draw us near to yourself this morning, Father, we pray. And may everything that's said and done in this place bring glory and honor to your name. May we experience the wonder of seeing your face today, in Jesus' name, amen. 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 So glad you've joined us this morning for our Good Friday Remembrance. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 23, the passage that Pastor Brett uh, read to us at the beginning. So Luke chapter 23, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there. It's uh, so important for you to see it in God's Word. If you don't have your Bibles, please put your hand up. Uh, We'd be happy to get a copy of God's Word in your hand. And this is our gift to you uh, this uh, Good Friday. We encourage you to take it home and read it. uh, For in the Bible, you see a clear picture of Jesus, and it points you to the one uh, who means the most to uh, this universe. And so we're going to look at Good Friday today from the eyes of Luke. When you think about Good Friday, you think about this word, injustice, unfairness, unjustness, inequity, and corruption. You think that word injustice, it stirs us as human beings to the sense that something just isn't right, something is off, it causes us even a little bit of anger inside. We're all about injustice now, aren't we? We, we jump on all the injustices, we jump on all the Facebook pages, injustice, injustice, we want justice. You hear stories of the guy named Ricky Jackson who spent 39 years in prison, in U.S. prison, the longest in history for a a crime, a murder he did not commit. And you're thinking, that's just injustice. We're stirred by that. This guy's life was lost. Then you hear that he was exonerated and justice served and something that stirs us. Yes, justice. God has created all of us with a sense of injustice and justice because he is a God of justice. And you look at the greatest injustice the world has ever seen. The greatest injustice is what happened to Jesus Christ. You look up innocence in the dictionary, you should see a picture of Jesus. Not only did he not commit any crimes, but he was perfectly innocent. He was perfect. He was pure. He never told a little white lie, never even stole a pencil, never had an impure motive or an unrighteous look at someone of the opposite sex. Jesus is injustice personified, yet we see it even as Jesus' injustice is being played out, we ultimately see the justice of God, and so we have this heart-wrenching reality about injustice, but justice, this is really Good Friday, the tension of injustice and justice, and so as we turn to Luke chapter 23 uh, this morning, I want to remind you that we're not here because we're celebrating a Hallmark holiday. 
We're not here because it's a day off and it's a thing to do at Easter. We're here because this is historical fact. Don't let the movies desensitize you to the full reality of what Jesus actually lived and went through on this earth. This is true. This is factual today. And it means so much to us in our lives. Let me just help you understand the scenario around Jesus at crucifixion. If you look at verse 26, they were leading him away uh, from Pilate's house. Jesus had already been through at this point uh, numerous hours of questioning and uh, these fake trials trying to convict him. He'd already been beaten to a pulp so much so that he could barely carry this 300-pound cross that they were going to put on his shoulders. Many criminals actually died before they even got to the cross. That's how much they scourged them and beat them and taunted them. And so Jesus now, he's coming and he's, they're going to put this cross on him. He's too weak to carry it. So they grab this guy named Simon of Cyrene. They're like, hey, hey, buddy, you're carrying the cross. Maybe it's a foreshadowing of what Christ is going to call us to. If you're going to follow Jesus, you must deny yourself and take up your cross and follow Jesus. So here's this scene. Jesus is coming out. He can't carry the cross. Simon now has it on his back, 100 pounds on just the cross beam, carrying this. The mobs, just like what happens in courts today when, when this, someone of high profile comes out of court, the mobs are surrounding them. You know, the, the, this is the scene. You know, the mobs surrounding guards trying to keep the people away from Jesus. The photographers are taking pictures. Reporters have the microphone in his face. Just give us a word. Give us a word. People are trying to touch him. Mobs of inquisity, also mobs of mourning. If you see here, the women were mourning and lamenting. They weren't just crying little sobs of like, oh, boo-hoo, this is sad. They were wailing and weeping. The whole nation seemed to understand there was something different about Jesus, the way he healed, the way he taught with authority, the way he lived his life. This was no normal man, and this was, this was definitely a sham trial. Interesting to note, even the fact that the women are mentioned in this text brings up the reality of the story because the women's testimony didn't count back in those days. Aren't you glad days have changed today? And so bringing that up would actually discredit the story, not bring credit, credit, uh, credibility to it. And so this is the reality. This is, this is the women and men following and mourning. Jesus looks at them and he says this. Look in verse um, 28. But turning to Turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and your children before there's a worse day than this coming. You think this is hard for me? You think the cross is bad? There's a worse day coming. And, and really saying, is like, don't cry for me. You should cry for yourselves and your kids. And what he's looking at here is he's saying that the nation is going to be judged for this atrocity, killing the king of the universe, the creator of all things. The nation's going to be judged. He's even pointing to a greater judgment that's coming for when, when he comes back and saying, when I come back, there's going to be worse at stake for you than there is for me today for all those who decide to turn their backs on God and continue to murder the king in their hearts, King Jesus. So he makes a reference here to this green wood and dry wood. And of course, green wood is a living wood and dry wood is dead wood. You don't need, you can't burn green wood. You can, don't need an accelerant for dry wood. Jesus is basically reminding them that there's so much of significance happening here. This isn't that bad. It's going to be worse for those when God actually judges them, when they stand before God, for those that turn their backs on Jesus and ignore even the realities of Good Friday. Really what I wanted to point out for you this little bit of these few verses from 26 to 31, just touch on them quickly to show you that this was a day of lamenting and mourning. It wasn't a joyous day. Think of this, the mobs following Jesus, even criminals when they go to their death sentence, they have like their mom and their brother and a few friends. Like this is a whole mob, not the Bonnie and Clyde style. This is like the nation's mourning because this is simply injustice personified. 
Remember when Sandy Hook happened and all those innocent lives were lost and we didn't even know them. We're mourning and there was sadness. You wake up in the morning and it just seemed glum and people were calling for a national day of mourning. This is such a tragedy. All these innocent lives lost. This is the tragedy of all tragedies. The perfect innocent life that was killed. That's why we celebrate Good Friday. The mourning hasn't stopped in some ways. We always want to remember and reflect on the fact that the worst day in history was the day that humanity killed our God and King Jesus Christ. So it's not a celebration today that's coming on Sunday. This is actually a day of mourning. Why are we mourning so much? Because it shows us the atrocity of our human heart, but it also shows us fully what Jesus Christ went through. If, this is, if you're a believer today, this is your Savior that went through this for you, all that we're going to unpack This is your savior. If you're not a believer, you don't believe in Jesus. This is what God allowed his son to go through for you. This is why we mourn. Uh, Look at this. Jesus' punishment was atrocious. Jesus' punishment was atrocious. It is a day to never forget. Look at verse 32. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. Here's a picture of of Jesus. Isn't the irony of it all? The, The perfect one who never sinned between two of the most hardened criminals on either side. It's not right. Something's wrong. Injustice, like a rose between two thorns. We look at it and we're like, that's just not right a picture. What's wrong with this picture? Criminals, we know. This was justice. This is what lawbreakers deserve. Uh, For Jesus, this was injustice, not what any innocent man should bear. This should cause some sort of internal response from us. Or we become so immune to Jesus that we can get fired up about a man who spent a year life in prison for a crime he didn't commit, but we are unmoved by the reality of Jesus. Take him to a place of the skull, it says here. This is Golgotha. Golgotha was just outside the northern gates of the old Jerusalem on one of the major intersections where the trade route was going east and west. And so this is their version of Facebook Live. It's one thing for you to see people gawk at you once you're passed away. It's another thing to be on Facebook Live or Jesus hung at a crossroads where everyone is going to pass. Ultimate humiliation, ultimate embarrassment as they scoff at him and as they taunt him and as they tear his clothes up and see what it says here? Criminals, one on his left and one on his right, they're tossing his garments, dividing it up. People stood watching and scoffing. He saved others, let him save himself. Spit in the face of Jesus. If you're the king, do something, king. Interesting Jesus' response, hey, in verse 34, just shows how innocent he really was. This is me, I'm like, get him, Father! This isn't right! Jesus just calmly, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. They have no clue, God. Forgive them. It's an atrocious death, really. Jesus doesn't have the luxury here of having his family in the hospital room with the nice music quietly playing, ushering him into the presence of the Lord. He's listening to the jeers of those who hate him as he dies. Instead of dabbing his dry lips with water to ease his discomfort as we did with my father-in-law as he took his last breath, trying to keep him comfortable, they were shoving a sponge with sour wine on it in his face. Now, wine actually did quench the thirst. This is sour wine, kind of like a mockery. Hey, king, take this. Suck on this, king. All the time affixing a sign over his cross. 
that says king of the Jews. This is not an inscription of honor. This is not them telling, hey, this is the king of the Jews. This is where the charge went, like murderer, thief, king of the Jews. Can you picture it? Even the criminals on either side of him are making fun of him. Hey, hey, Christ, save yourself. If you're really the Christ, save yourself, the criminal says. Criminal 2 looks at him and says, don't you fear God? This, we just get what we're deserving, but this guy's done nothing. God, today, if it's in your favor, please find, with me, with, find me with you in paradise. Paradise is the same word used when it's talking about the Garden of Eden. Find me in the perfect place. Find me in the place where, every, where God resides, where every one of God's children end, end their lives and spend retirement. Find me in that place, oh God. Find me in utopia with you. So easily we can just gloss over some of these things. And can you imagine if this was you? Can you imagine if this was your son or your daughter, the one that you loved? This is your savior. This isn't just a king, this is the king. Jesus' death was atrocious. Jesus' death was also barbaric. Don't let this be lost on you. He was hanging from a cross. You thought the electric chair was bad. You thought stoning or being burned at the stake or one of the other ancient forms of execution being stomped on by elephants. This is the worst of the worst punishment for the worst of criminals. The worst of criminals compared to the one who did nothing wrong. This is the punishment that, that the worst of criminals got. This was saved for the worst of the worst. They'd take a seven-inch spike and hammer it either through the, the hand or through the wrists so that the bones on either side would basically hang the person up on the cross. Keep their legs at 45-degree angles, their chest being bared, bore, being bore out. The, the body would bake under the hot sun and, and the organs would slowly shut down. Meanwhile, everyone's watching all of this. So heavy was the weight of the shoulders on the cross that the arms would be ripped out of their sockets and by the end of crucifixion, the arms would be six to seven inches longer than when they started. With all the weight, unable to bear the exhaustion, eventually the criminal couldn't even pull his own body up to take a breath and all the weight was on his chest and the person would end up dying like this going... Just trying to catch a breath. Even that sound makes me cringe. This is Jesus. This is Jesus Christ. Long and cruel and painful. Began at 9 a.m. the third hour. By the sixth hour, the sun's supposed to be shining brightest. The, the sun goes dark. It's like God flipped the lights out. It's like he put his hand over the sun as a symbol of like the whole earth is lamenting. God is lamenting. The whole earth is mourning at this point. Darkness symbolizing the destruction of what's happening, but also the reality of, of God mourning. I watched a tribute to the humble Broncos at the one-year anniversary of those young hockey players dying last week, and one of the fathers said this. He said, it was, so, it was so heartbreaking. It was so heavy. I was sure the sun wouldn't come up the next morning, but it did. Didn't for Jesus. 
Right before the moment he took his last breath, the temple curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. The temple in that time was in Jerusalem where, where God dwelt. And in the temple there was 13 curtains. There was one big one between the holy place and the holy of holy place where no one went but the priests. And the priests would go in there once a year. They'd ceremonially cleanse themselves. They'd get their robes on. And the way that God prescribed them to cleanse themselves, they'd have a little bell in the bottom of their robe. And they'd have a rope tied to their foot in case they didn't cleanse themselves properly. And they fell dead in the presence of the Lord. It's a fearful thing to be in the presence of the Lord. Then their buddies could drag them out. They went in there once a year to beg God for the atonement of the sins of the people. And this is the curtain that was being ripped top to bottom, like from the top to the bottom. Why top to bottom? So that no one could say, I think it was the disciples. They had a little pair of scissors and like four ran that way and four ran that way. They ripped the temple. It's a big sham. Not at all. This is symbolic of God saying like, he's making a way for sinners. He's making a way for sinners to enter into the holy of holies to meet with God himself. He's changing the whole thing. He's changing all the covenants and the rituals and all the things like that. He's saying, yeah, now it's Jesus that's the temple. And sinners can go into the holy of holies because Jesus is where God dwells. The last instant before he died, Jesus bellowed this, Father, in my hands I commit your spirit, my spirit. In your hands I commit my spirit. Notice this about the text. Jesus wasn't given to just the popular opinion of the the, the day. He, He didn't just get swept up in the tide of animosity on the cross. He willfully gave his life up for us. He chose it. It was purposeful. It was intentional. I give my life. And just like that, as he took his last breath, it was over. Creator King was on a cross, hanging lifeless. He was dead, finished, no more. You've all been to funerals. You know the eerie silence that's at a funeral. You know the sound of ruthless sobbing and the anguish of the pain of losing somebody is almost palpable in those places. This is the whole cosmos grieving at this moment. This is why we still celebrate today. It's no small thing. This is not a made-up fairy tale. This is what happened. This is why 2,000 years later we are still remembering Jesus Christ. All of creation, even the heavens, took a collective (gasps) gasp. Centurion in this passage even realizes that this is not any normal death. Centurion's a big, rough, tough soldier in charge of 100 men. He's like, surely this was the Son of God. This is the unbeliever who is there like, get him, get him, crucify him. Surely this is the Son of God. And they ran around beating their chests and weeping with, with loud sobs. What's that about? That's because, you know, when you're in that place, you don't know what to do with yourself. And some people pay, some people punch walls. They're just like, ah, the guilt, the sadness. This truly was undeniable this truly was undeniable the son of God imagine if this happened today no matter who it was if this was our president or or our prime minister or the president of the United States or anyone else we'd be signing petitions we'd be writing letters to the government we'd be grabbing news stations we'd be wanting laws changed laws changed there's none of that fanfare in this this was part of God's plan that dead souls would become alive and that dark hearts would be given light. Look at verses 50 to 56. The injustice continues. Jesus, 
up on the cross, dead. What are we going to do with them? Joseph of Arimathea comes, and a rich man who feared the Lord. He may be a Pharisee or a Sadducee, but he feared the Lord. He had noble heart, just didn't understand the Messiah yet, and he wanted to honor God, did what was right. He came and said, let me take him, and he bound him up and put him in his tomb, a rich man's tomb. Irony of it all is that Jesus, think of his life, it was so obscure from top to bottom. He was born in a manger with dirty old manger in a stable with, with no pomp and, and, and celebration. He died and was put in a borrowed tomb in a rock in the side of a cliff. Go to Israel today or to Egypt today. There's still the tombs of pharaohs and there are these great big magnificence. No one's going to forget the pharaoh late back from whenever. and No one's going to forget the king. Where's Jesus' tomb? No one really knows. Doesn't that seem backwards? He should have the biggest tomb, the biggest monument. Women are coming to anoint his body with oils and they didn't have embalmers back then. That was a way of honoring Jesus. Maybe we'll keep his body from stinking up the place too much. This is history. This is not fake news. It's not propagated by the disciples. Well, the disciples made it up for sure because, because they're going to sign a big book deal. They're going to gain notoriety. Think of the disciples. What did they gain from this? They had nothing earthly to gain and everything earthly to lose. Every one of the disciples, except for John, who died of old age after they tried to kill him a number of times, died of a, a horrible death, almost like Jesus. Peter, for example, hung upside down on a cross. Oh, yeah, you're going to identify with Jesus? Let me show you what we think of Jesus. Upside down on a cross. Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, beheaded. There's no point trying to dance around it. I'm not trying to make this gory for you. I'm just telling you what happened. That's why God gave us the Bible, so we knew what happened, so we wouldn't have to speculate. This is one of the four eyewitness accounts that put all the Gospels together. They make a complete story. It's amazing. So intense was God that we don't miss this, that he wrote it down for us. This is truth. This is historical fact. Even historians don't negate this. This is historical fact. 9-11, historical fact. Holocausts, we don't like to talk about historical fact. All the conspiracies around those, it doesn't matter. It's still true. The same with Jesus. All the conspiracy theories, it's still true. This is fact. Let me summarize Good Friday for you with this poem by Susan Evans. Let this sink into your souls. This is Jesus Christ. Nail slices into hand, bubbles, blood bubbling up and drifting into dirt, body lifted from the ground, screams of anguish, pricks of thorns in the forehead. You think you're a king? Blurry crowds mocking, surreal parched throat, sponge of vinegar, eerie darkness descends, putrid sin thrust into body, screams of anguish, abandonment, trinity torn, temple curtain torn, access to God granted, pardon for sin paid, blood drips into dirt, it is finished. And we call it Good Friday? Sounds more like gloomy Friday, doesn't it? Or gory Friday. Why do we still celebrate Good Friday? What is good about the Son of God being murdered by sinful man? Let me help you understand how this story translates to your life and my life 2,000 years later while you're sitting here today, why God has you by divine appointment here today. 
Not just to hear the story again, you know it, but to help you understand again the implications for our lives. Here's the truth of why this is Good Friday. Number one, this story, believe it or not, is about God's plan being fulfilled for all of humanity. This story is about God allowing his son to be executed for a crime he didn't commit, for all crimes that have been ever committed. This is part of God's eternal plan from the very beginning. The Old Testament, we look at the Old Testament, what is the Old Testament for? What are all these sacrifices about? The Old Testament is, a, is foreshadowing of what Jesus Christ was going to accomplish on the cross. When, when God asked the Israelites, people to come and, and sacrifice an unblemished animal that the blood would cover over their sins or atone for their sins, he was simply doing that to point to the lamb, the precious lamb of God, whose blood was going to cover over the sins of the world. This is all part of God's plan. Isaiah 53 says it was his will. In other versions say it pleased him. In one sense, as of any father who watched his son go through this, it would displease him. It would be excruciatingly painful. In the other sense, it brought a smile to his face because he knew this was the only shot mankind would have to have their sins forgiven. God is willing to put up with short-term pain for long-term gain. This is part of God's plan being fulfilled. This is also part of God's justice being served. Here's the justice part of this. It's not just injustice. It's God's justice being served. Get this. God's wrath in this moment of Jesus taking on the cross, God's wrath for sin was being satisfied in Jesus Christ. God's wrath for sin is being satisfied in Jesus Christ. God is righteous, which means he has no tolerance for evil. Perfectly righteous, no tolerance for evil. Like a good judge can't let the lawbreaker go unpunished, so God can't let sin go unpunished. There has to be a payment. There has to be a punishment. That's where it gets a little icky for us because we realize that we have all sinned. What's sin? Sin is actually breaking the law of God. Sin is turning our backs on God in rebellion. Sin is turning our backs on God's way. It's telling God, like, I don't need you, God. It's like spitting in the face of God. It's like giving God the middle finger. I don't need you, God. I can do things on my own. I wish you didn't exist, and I'm just going to do life my way. That's what sin is. Everyone here has done it. There's consequences to our sin. Consequences to our sin is death. Well, that seems harsh. Not when you think about what sin is. It's an affront to God. It's devastating. It's an affront to God. It, it destroys us and it destroys those around us. Sin, rightfully, the consequence is death. A holy God, perfect, can't come in contact with anything impure. Heaven wouldn't be perfect if sin was there. That means you and I can't be there. God wouldn't be a good, just God if he allowed crimes to be unpunished. That's just unthinkable. The reality is we've all sinned. Ten commandments, what were they given to us for? That we had to live up to this strong moral code? Well, yes, but only in God's power. But they're also to show us, show us that, man, no one can live up to these, and you've all broken them. I've broken them hundreds of times. But you're the pastor, exactly, but I'm a human being. Think of the first commandment, that you shall have no other gods before me. And have you ever put anything before God? Your career, your own self, your husband, your wife, your kids? Yeah, yep, broken. Break one and you're guilty. What about this? Anyone ever misused God's name and taken his name in vain? Those moments in your life when you're just frustrated and something goes wrong and you let it slip out. You don't let it slip out, but it's in your head. Well, God can hear that too. Even this morning, some of you are using God's name in vain trying to get to church. We've all dishonored our moms and our dads, thinking we know best and 
They're ruining my life. Of course they are. We dishonor them. Maybe we haven't killed, but we've all hated. We've all in that place been like, how dare that person? I wish they were. Maybe we haven't committed adultery, but we've all lusted. Stolen even little things. We've all told white lies. Let's stop pretending we're better than we are. We've all wished we had what other people's have. These are the Ten Commandments. Man, I wish I had my neighbor's whatever. We've all broken them. So you know what that means? That means we're all guilty. We all deserve death. We don't deserve to be with God forever. But here's the reality. Here's the reality of Good Friday. God put all his punishment on Jesus. That's the representation of the darkness. That three hours of darkness was Jesus up on the cross taking all of our sin, all of humanity's sin on himself, uh, taking the brunt of all of God's wrath. He prepared a cup to drink, a cup of wrath, and he gave it to Jesus. And Jesus drank it down every single drop. God allowed his son to be framed for your life and my life, this should stir us a little bit today. Here's a third thing of how this relates to us. is my record being wiped clean. It's my record being wiped clean. We all are going to stand before the judgment seat of God one day. It doesn't matter if you believe in him or not. It doesn't matter if you even believe there's a high court. It doesn't matter. You're going to stand before the judgment seat of God. And you're going to sit in the defendant's box, and God's going to say, bring out, bring out the charges, and they're going to back up the big U-Haul, for mine anyways, the big U-Haul. And they're like, well, what do we do with this, God? There's pages upon pages upon pages and Jesus is in the back row going like, oh, if you let me sit in that place, I'm perfect. I will take your place. You can go sit in the back row. Jesus was taking a whole of, think of the things you've done and thought and said, even against God. You may be smirking right now in your heart against God. Think of all the things you've done against God and what it deserves. Jesus takes it for you. He sits in that defendant's box so that when God looks down, he doesn't see you anymore. He sees Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that Jesus didn't just take your sin. He became sin. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus became sin in that moment. Unbelievable. That's why it's good. Who could pay that price? I couldn't pay that price. You couldn't pay that price. Jesus paid it for us. Oh, God, give us eyes to believe today, hearts to understand. Romans 5.10 tells us that the enemies of God, we are enemies. If you aren't on God's side, you're an enemy of God. You've been giving him the middle finger your whole life, and you're doing it again today if you're rejecting this. But we're reconciled. We can be reconciled through the death of his son. Jesus had to die. Hebrews says, without the remission of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. Blood is the life. That is what God designs for us, designed that we would, without blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. Your blood can't do it. It has to be Jesus. Here's the fourth thing. My relationship with God is being restored. The cross really shows us that God is for us and not against us. He proved it by allowing his justice to be doled out on Jesus. He gave up his son. You don't think he's for you? He knows what you deserve. He knows what the ending is unless you choose Jesus. And he willfully, I can't imagine giving up either of my boys for anybody. He gave up his son. Sat back and watched this all go down because he knew that's the only way to break down that wall of animosity between you and God. That wall is so high, you can't climb it. That wall is so wide, you can't go around it. That represents your sin. Who can break that wall down? Only Jesus Christ on the cross.
should have been me on the cross. Should have been you that people were walking by, gawking at and smiling at. It should have been us. Should have been us. Should have been us. Should have been us. That's what Good Friday is all about. That's why it's good. It should have been us. You don't believe that today. You're deceived because you're not as good as you think you are. You don't think you need God. You're deceived. We tell you this so that one day you won't be shocked. There's only two responses to this, really. It's given to us in the text, the two criminals, two responses. Two responses. What's the first guy say? If you're really Jesus, like, save yourself and us, moron. The mocker, there's only the mocker. Here's the reality. When Jesus went to paradise, the mocker wasn't going to go with him. Well, that's not just. Well, really, the, he, he reject Jesus in this life? Why would you want to be with him forever? Why, how does that make sense? I hate Jesus, but I'm going to be with him forever. It just doesn't make any logical sense. It's not true. Actually, it says in another place, not heaven, it's called hell. Just as real as heaven that no one talks about anymore. And I'm not trying to scare you, I'm just telling you to tell you the truth. Hell's a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. You think Jesus had a bad day? That's, like, that's nothing compared to the bad day in hell forever and ever and ever. Every single day, every second of every day, that's hell. Lake of fire. God is everything good, and so if God's not there, there's nothing good in hell, nothing good. The worst day in heaven is a million times better than the best day in hell. You know why there's not a good day in hell? At least I'll be with my friends. You won't care about your friends. Choose to turn your back on even this today, and God's mercy feel he'll be patient, but today if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart like the criminal. It's too risky. It's life or death. The other alternative is the other criminal on the other side that says, fear God. Uh, he's getting, we get what we deserve, but, but Jesus will be with you in paradise. You choose to, instead of turn away from Christ, embrace Christ and grab a hold of his coattails, you'll grab a hold of that coattail all the way to glory. And not because of you're that good, not because you can hold on to Jesus, because he'll hold on to you. And heaven is what you truly long for. That's why every funeral talks about heaven, whether they, whether they this is a funeral, right, for Jesus. We can talk about heaven. Don't believe in God, but I want heaven. You know why? Because every heart longs for utopia. We long for the Garden of Eden. And it's not Bermuda, and it's not Bahamas, and it's not with the pretty mamas. Still sin. Still corruption. Still poverty and pain and murder and lying and cheating, even those beautiful places. There's one place your soul longs for, and that is heaven. It's built within every one of us where Jesus is, where all of God's promises are finally made complete. For those even today that choose to turn to Jesus today and embrace him, that will be your reality. Don't put off thinking about death. That's part of what Good Friday does, reminds us of death, because it's coming maybe sooner than you think. For those who've embraced Jesus already, this is a chance to worship. Yes, thank you, God. I know these truths. I get them. Help me get them in a deeper way today. May you not be unmoved this Good Friday by the story, the old story, but the new story, which is new every day of Easter. This is the story that ought to move us and shape us and cause us to live our lives differently than everybody else because we're forgiven. We're forgiven.
If you haven't made this decision yet, it's very simple, but it takes humility. It takes getting off your throne and allowing Jesus to be on your throne. Here's what it is. Simply accepting the fact that I'm a sinner and my sin alienates me from God. I don't think you can deny it. No one's perfect. I've missed God's mark. I've fallen short of God's standard of holiness. I need a Savior. Not just to save me from my sins, but to empower me to live out the life that Christ calls me to. Accept that. Believe that Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. And he's the only way to be reconciled with your Father. Like any good father loves their children and wants a relationship with them, God loves you. And wants to do life with you. Don't believe it, look to Jesus. Believe that Jesus is through repentance that's turning from my sin and putting my faith in Jesus, asking for forgiveness of my sin and putting my hope in Jesus, that's believing. Accept and believe and then confess Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. He's not just our Savior, he's our Lord. We do life differently now because of what Christ did for us on the cross. Regardless of where you sit today, I pray that this will stir you towards Christ and not away. Tim Keller says this, the reality of the cross demands a response from us. Every time we hear the message, we do one of two things. We either, Keller says, we either kill Jesus again or we crown him Lord. We either kill him or we crown him. We stand at the crowd that says, crucify him, crucify him. Or we say, oh, Jesus, will you be my Savior? Will you be my King? God wants every heart in here to turn to him for the, to, be their, his, to allow him to be their Savior and the King. Would you close your eyes with me as we bow? We're going to go into a time of communion. We're going to let these things sink deep into our souls, but will you bow with me? And let me pray as we close off this part. And even I pray as your eyes are closed that you're even asking God to you don't believe this stuff and you think I'm full of whatever, you ask God to give you belief in your heart and faith. It's life or death for you today. It's life or death. I pray you choose life. Father, I pray right now that you'd cause every heart in this room to see Jesus clearly. Remove the doubts, Lord. Remove the fears. Remove the animosity. Forget about what others have done in the past and how others have been a bad example and how the church has failed. We all know when we live life on our own, we can't do it. We fail, we fall short, we can't do it. We all know that in the end, our, our life isn't gonna cut it. It's yours, Jesus. Give belief to where belief is needed, God. Allow all of us to feel the weight of this. This picture of the cross is what our sin really deserves. One commentator said it this way. The reality of the cross shows the full terror of sin more than all the other wars and atrocities in life combined. It's not a small thing, sin. It's not a small thing, God, that you sent your son to die on, our, die on the cross the sins of humanity. Father, I pray you give everyone here eyes to see Jesus today and hearts to believe. Please, oh God, please, oh God, please, oh God, it's so urgent. Please, please, please. In Jesus' name, amen.